Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles with me this morning to John chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 11. I'll put there as well. And we're going to be looking at verse 17 and 27. Um, just, a, just a touch of, of background for you that if you think about it, Jesus entered the world miraculously, born to virgin, and he exited the world miraculously, resurrected. And the writers of the Gospels are writing from the perspective of, of actually having seen and touched the resurrected Christ. So that Jesus presented himself alive actually 12 different times. Sometimes it was one-on-one, sometimes it was a group of 500. Sometimes in small groups. You see, for the Christian, because by faith we are in Christ, we are joined to Him, we have union with Him, we are partakers of everything that Christ did. So that His death on the cross was your death for sin. His resurrection to be with the Father, you were, Scripture says, raised with Him to be with the Father. Joined to Him by faith. So you might say it like this, the resurrection is the nail that our entire faith stands or falls. The resurrection. And so that in times of difficulty like we're having right now, it's also one of the ways that we comfort people. In fact, it's, it's the ultimate way that we comfort people. So let's look at John 11. I'm going to just read verse 17 to 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Please pray. Father, thank you so much. What an amazing truth that Christ is the resurrection. Lord, for all who believe, or we will never die. Father, we will be raised, and the proof of that is His resurrection. And I, I pray two things, Lord, that you would comfort us during so much challenge right now with an ultimate perspective of the resurrection of Jesus. And secondly, give us the ability to comfort others and speak that truth in gracious ways in the power of the Spirit to those who are in our world. Let the Spirit work right now in our hearts and our minds, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Years ago, Vice President George Bush went to represent the United States in Russia, the Soviet Union back then, when their president, Leonard Bresnan, passed away. And it was a very solemn funeral, and Bush was deeply moved, particularly by the silent protests of Bresnan's widow. And as the procession and the funeral occurred, just before they closed the casket, she leaned down and made the sign of the cross over his dead body. Maybe the greatest act of civil disobedience of all time. And what she was saying was, look, my husband has achieved a lot here in this nation. We have a lot of power, a lot of authority. He is a very man, a man of fame. But my hope and my comfort for him rests in one thing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. She found no comfort in his achievements, his power, his wealth, but only in one hope, and that he would be somehow joined to Christ in the resurrection. And so I want to ask, what about you? You are commanded ultimately to take comfort, to be able to comfort others in the resurrection of Christ. And so during these times of hardship, when you see that your spouse is struggling because they've been home for three weeks with their crazy kids, or your neighbor loses 80% of their business and they're worried, or your in-laws in their elder age are worried about getting sick, how do you comfort them? And is the comfort that you have, is it linked to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, we need to ask our favorite rest of all, how did Jesus comfort people who were suffering? And this is what we see in John chapter 11, right? Uh, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus, had just died. And lots of people had come around to comfort them. And when they see Jesus, who's four days late to the funeral, when they see him, Martha runs to him. And Jesus' comfort to her is... Not, ah, oh, it'll be okay. Or, oh, Lazarus was a good fellow. It was, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. You see, since the fall of man, death is our great enemy. It is the dragon that all people in one way or another faces in. Christ went into the dragon did in his death and defeated that dragon and came out of the grave to show what had occurred. He fought it, you might say, overcame it, and came out our conqueror. He conquered it for us and rose as our representative to show what he had done. And now every single believer joined to him by the Spirit triumphs over death as well. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And here is where the believer takes the greatest comfort for ourselves in difficult times. But it's also where we comfort people with a lot of truths. But it's also one of the greatest truths that we must be able to speak and comfort other Christians 
with. So here's our main idea this morning is just this. The believer's greatest comfort is the resurrection. And there's two comforts in this text that we want to look at. First is the, the comfort of the crowd, verse 17 to 19. If you look there in your Bibles with me one more time. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So the Jewish rabbis, which is the Jewish teachers, they taught many things. But one of the most binding teachings that they had, and they continued to come back to, was how to comfort and the necessity of comforting mourners. So they had three days of intense mourning, and that would have been followed by 30 days of mourning. Now, because they were in Bethany, think about the city of Jerusalem. Next to it would have been the, the Mount of Olives, and, and Bethany was just on the backside. So it was quite close to Jerusalem. Now, this particular family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, seemed to be a pretty well-to-do family. So there were lots of people who came out to help them mourn, to take part in this mourning. They even had professional mourners who would be there, who were hired and paid, and they would be there up to seven days, mourning with the family. Verse 19 says like this, many of the Jews came. Verse 31, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoled her, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb. Now, they would also have words of comfort. And we, we know a lot of words from the things that they were saying from ancient texts. And so, two of their basic lines is at the tomb or at the grave, they would say things like this depart in peace. And then those same orders when people had come home, they would say something like this May the Lord of consolation comfort you. And so they were mourning with those who mourned. They understood it quite well, seeking to point them to the Lord who could console Mary and Martha with the loss of their brother. Now, in our world, we know that we need to comfort people, especially when they're suffering. But often, isn't it true that we are at a loss of how to do that? And so maybe we say, no, well, do I need to send flowers or... Or a car, if you're like me, you have a car, you know, I don't know what to say. And you ask your wife, could you just write something really nice for me? Several years ago, there was an Islamist group that bombed the Brussels airport in some way. One reporter, noticing the response to the bombing, said this. Teddy bears, tears, candles, cartoons. Murals, mosaics, flowers, flags, projections, hashtags, balloons, wreaths, lights, vigils, scars, and more. These are the best solution the Western world seems to come up with every few months when we are slammed by another Islamist terrorist attack. We are our own sickness. You see, what he's saying is, we actually have no answers, no comfort to those who are mourning, except to give them a teddy bear and tell them it'll be okay. My friends, in life, two 
things I can promise you. First is that you will experience mourning and suffering because of the loss and the brokenness of this world. And secondly, you will have opportunity, particularly as a believer, to comfort those who are mourning. And right now, you're probably experiencing both of those. And so we ask, how do we do that? And that points us to Jesus. And we say, how did he do it? That's point two. Let's look there, verse 20 to 22, resurrection comfort. The comfort that Christ actually offers. Verse 20. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Oh, that's a little bit further down. Let me come back to verse 20. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Stop there, verse 22. Notice what she does. Jesus is approaching. And Martha runs to Jesus. And when I see that, or I read that, I think, great. All these people are trying to help you comfort, but Christ is coming. And you run to him. You know where your comfort is. Great. Come to Christ. Yes. And then she unlocks her heart. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Four days late he was. The sisters are sorrowful. They're crying. They're wondering, why has Jesus not come? All these other people have come. Why is Jesus not come? Finally, Jesus arrives. And she unloads. She pours out her heart. And her sister does the same thing. Verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, they're both feeling the same grief. They couldn't wait to share it, to pour it out with Christ. The more, you might say, on his shoulder because they knew he could comfort them. And then Martha says something that actually reveals a little understanding of who he is. Verse 22, look in your Bibles with me. Notice what she says to But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Do you see that? She comes to him and she says, look, if you would just pray like Elijah, or, or pray like Moses, one of the great prophets, I know, Jesus, you have favor with God. I know God will listen to you. He will answer you. Now, when Jesus hears that, notice what he does. Verse 25 and 26. He corrects her and turns her comfort towards his resurrection. Verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So he turns her eyes, her hope, to himself. And not just himself, this is the week before the resurrection. And he knows what's coming. And he says, I am the resurrection and life. Turning her hope to himself, not as a miracle worker or just a prophet, 
but is the one who would be, who would be the resurrection of the dead. Now, you need to understand something here. The resurrection for Jews, they knew the scripture. This wasn't a new idea for her. It was very clear in texts like Daniel 12, verse 2, that there was a resurrection. Let me read that. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So they knew that there was an everlasting life resurrection, and there was a resurrection to judgment. Okay, Rusty, but what about Jesus? Does he teach the same? Well, yeah, he does. And John 5, verse 28 and 29, he says almost the same. Let me read that. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth to those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So notice what he's saying. The week before the cross, he's saying the resurrection to eternal life is through me. What you have read about and what you have hoped for, it is fulfilled in my death and in my resurrection. How do we take this and think and live it? How do we take this so that you understand that the rest of joy to Jesus' resurrection and it affects how you live or how you comfort people over these next coming weeks? Well, there's three major things that we that you need to understand in ways that you're connected to Jesus' resurrection. First is this. His resurrection is the merit of yours. And you should say hallelujah when you read that. Because what that means is the reason that you were raised is not that you were good enough or you were clean enough or you've gone to church enough. It's simply because you have faith in Christ and are born again and you are joined to His resurrection. His resurrection is the merit of your resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says it like this. If Christ is not raised, you are still in your sins. Second is this. His resurrection is the cause of yours. Benjamin Franklin, who was not a Christian but an atheist, wrote his own epitaph wrote on his own tomb, and he wrote these words about his cover. Body of Benjamin Franklin, printer like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and yielding, lies here, food for the worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. You see, what he's saying is he believed in a resurrection. But the problem is he didn't believe that Christ was raised, which means he had no cause or no reason to hope in his own resurrection that God would raise him. But believer, you have a cause. Listen to Romans 8 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Listen, the cause and the hope of your resurrection is that you, believer, have received the Spirit of God. And this is what joins you to Christ 
And it is the power and the cause of your resurrection as well. Merit, Jesus is the cause, and last, he is the mode, sorry, mode of your resurrection. Come back to Ben Franklin's words as we finish. He says, I will appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. If his view of resurrection is true, then he has no idea how he's going to come back. Right? There's no model. There's no model for him, is there? there there's no model for his resurrection. But believe me, you have a model. You, you've had someone that's already been raised for you. Listen to Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. His resurrection is the pattern for yours. It means His body was raised substantially the same and so will yours be also. Remember, it is a resurrection. It's not a new creation. His body was amazingly improved by the resurrection, and so will yours be also. His body was raised to be glorified in joy and intimate relationship with the Father, and so will yours be also. You see, Christ, because he was raised, you have the merit, the cause, and the model of your own resurrection. Let me just give you the last few words. Like an old pastor said, there is a great difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. They fear the punishment of the bad life. I expect the reward of Christ's good life. And my friends, that is your great comfort now, is the reward of Christ's good life. And part of that is His resurrection. Grave suffering, it is not the end of the story. Christ rose in my faith. You are joined to his resurrection. Father, I just thank you for, we don't just go to an empty tomb and say, um, where did he go? Or did someone steal his body? Or go to a tomb that still has the rock and say, what a great teacher he was. But Christ rose from the dead. And I praise you that same spirit is in us. And we are joined to him by faith. His resurrection is the first fruits of the harvest. And we will be raised.